Boom. Get down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D? Get down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D? Welcome to Down with D&D. This is Sean Merwin, and today is a big day here at Down with D&D because I have an important announcement to make. A little while ago, I I asked, there are changes coming to the show, so what would you like to see different about the show? And One of the responses we got was Morteos Abadia, and I listened to that. I thought that was darn good advice. So I would like to introduce to you the new co-host, for down with D&D, Mr. Teo Sabadia. Hey, Sean, uh, and folks out there, thank you very, very much. I'm really, very incredibly thankful. Uh, this this is really great. Uh, this has been my, I mean, I'm not kidding at all. This is by far my favorite podcast to listen to. Uh, and through the years, I've listened to every single one of these. So I'm, I'm very thankful. And Sean, you've always been an incredible mentor and friend uh and you know chris and you sharing knowledges and insights of the years to be a part of this it's really really uh, a wonderful opportunity thank you well you know now we have a chance to hate each other after we, we do a few of these so we got that to look forward to but you know i am super excited to have you uh join me it is uh great always great to talk D and D with you, whether it be the industry or mechanics or games or or adventures. So uh, I'm looking forward to all the knowledge that we can throw at people, and we'll see if any of it sticks. Awesome, thank you. All right. So uh, for the time being, we are going to go back to a format that's worked well for us over the years. Uh, we're going to open the show with some announcements and some news, and then for the second two thirds of the show, we're going to cover some topic. And today we are going to start with the topic that Teos wanted to do that was most interesting to me, which is traps and using them and running them as a DM and dealing with them as a player and so on. But before we get to traps, let's talk about news. And there's actually some big news uh, coming out this week. Uh, The first is that the Wizards of the Coast is hiring a diversity and inclusivity position, senior manager for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, we have a link in the show notes for that. But I wanted to get Teos's uh, take on this. You know, Wizards has been in the news a lot for, for various reasons, both good and sometimes unfortunate. And I think it's important that we point out that, at least in my opinion, they have done as much as I have seen any larger corporation do uh, in, the, in the last months and, and even year or so. Uh, to to reach out to communities to to become more inclusive and diverse. Yeah, it, it's you know, Wizards has that that the benefit and the detriment of being the strong, obvious leader in the space. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. they are the hobby to to many people, right? And and even when when folks love other games, they still pay attention to what Wizards does. Uh, and sometimes look to undermine it or criticize it because I mean they're like the big band that everybody listens to, right? It, it's 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 they're right. the target, uh, they're the leader, and so what they do when there is pressure in the industry, when there's pressure directed uh, directly at them, squarely at them, 
that is something that a lot of people watched. And there have been a number of questions as to how wizards would respond to current events, to specific events at their company. And I mean, I, we're seeing a lot that they're doing, right? And, and, and it's been incremental. And every time they've done something, they've sort of said, and we're not done, we're gonna be announcing more things, we're gonna be doing more things. And this is the latest thing they've announced, hiring someone that reports to the VP of HR, uh, who's going to work throughout the diversity organization that Hasbro has. I mean, Hasbro is not a small place. It has a lot of resources. Wizards is not a small company either. It has a lot of resources, a lot of things that it does. So this is a big deal. Uh, and it will be very interesting to see how this gets filled and what the person does uh, with this position and what the company does with it. Um, mm -hmm. It's, it, yeah, it, it's a big, I don't know that I've ever heard of a, another company in this space doing that. Um, right. And we do have some you know, larger players, right? We have companies that are owned by companies. We have uh, fantasy flight mm -hmm. games type scenarios and, and others, and we have longstanding companies and I've, I've never heard of anything like this. So this is a, a big lead by Wizards of the Coast. Right, and you, know, you have done freelance work, not just in the RPG field, but, but in the legal profession. I've done freelance work for companies, large and small, private, public, uh, education, uh, nonprofits, and change within those organizations is monolithic, uh, to, to say the least. So when, when we see Wizards of the Coast taking these steps, and there's always the people who are decrying that it's not enough, that may be true, it may not be enough, but it is generally better than other things I've seen taking place, yeah. you know, over these, these 30 years that I've been involved in the, in the business world. This for wizards as a company is lightning fast. Like the speed they've mm -hmm. moved on diversity this last two months has been the fastest I've seen them respond on anything. Right. I've heard, uh, you know, there's an ex wizard employee friend of mine that once said that they felt like they would respond to an issue around the time the issue had gone away. Like that's how long it would take them to respond. Not because they didn't want to, but it would take that long right. internally. You know, mm -hmm. and many of us work at companies like this where it just takes so long to get something done. This is really lightning speed for them. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on the hire, uh, assuming it happens and, uh, and what other steps come along the way. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, the second bit of news, the survey for the feats is up. Uh, the You can go to the wizard site uh, right at the D, front D&D page. There'll be a link for it. There's also a link in the show notes. Uh, we did cover feats last week. Greg Marks and I looked at them. Feats not just in terms of fifth edition, but kind of feats historically in D&D, plus a look at the new Unearthed Arcana feats. Uh, do you have any thoughts on, on any of that, Teos, that we could fit within like five minutes <laughs> I, I love the the review you guys did uh i also listened to albert soup review the feats uh and and mm -hmm. i i kind of feel like these are these are great and it's hard to evaluate them because the player's handbook is full of things like sharpshooter on one end and then mm -hmm. you know other feats that are weaker on the others and, and if i look at like the initiate type feats that are in this article they're stronger than like magic initiate and the player's handbook mm -hmm. Uh, but they're weaker than sharpshooter. So maybe this is where it should be, but they're stronger than some players' handbook feats. So I, I you know, yeah. I think a lot of it depends on the design, what Wizards wants to do with feats. If they want to bolster them a bit more, then these are great, full of flavor. Right. Some of them are going to be mandatory picks for, you know, your damage dealing type of optimizing mm -hmm. players. It's just going to be that way. You know, my sharpshooter will be forced to take 
that piercer feet so I can right. crit on every arrow and do more damage and all sorts of madness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's I, I think I said to Greg, it's interesting to delve into the mechanics, but it's also interesting to step back and just look at the feats in terms of how they how they're being developed to show where the mindset of R and D is right now on where they want to go with the game. Yeah, but- you know, do they want to bump up the power a little bit or a lot, or they, you, they have, it seems tried to come into that middle ground between the most powerful and the most, uh, yeah. the, and the weakest up from the player's handbook. So, yeah. Yeah. They were all really good. I already did the survey, uh, put in my two cents and I, I, I love the flavor, right? Chef is excellent. I mm-hmm. mean, the feats yeah. like Crusher even, you know, they're kind of mechanical are really cool. They're really yeah. neat and they bring some of that tactical play. Uh, I think I'm only disappointed by one or two of them. So. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, in terms sure. of play testing, you know, they're doing what they have done, in all of 5e right as they are taking the time to play test these things not just with private groups but letting public groups do it and give their opinion and and i think that's a great sign that they haven't lost that that edge for hearing what the players want and letting the players guide their design yeah good point yep and the last bit of news we have for this episode is is a big one Mythic Odysseys of Theros hits the shelves of your favorite local friendly gaming store on your digital marketplace or anywhere else you buy your books. So what is the Mythic Odysseys of Theros? It is a crossover with the Magic the Gathering uh, setting of Theros. So it's their second foray into a published book based on the Magic the Gathering setting. Um, In the book... You will see things like supernatural gifts from the gods, special traits that mark your character, Uh, new races like the Leonin and Seder, new subclasses for the Bard and the Paladin, new monsters, and uh, god weapons, signature items that gods allow your character to use to stand apart from normal heroes. Uh, I have not had a chance to look at the book yet, but I will be getting it shortly. Uh, have you had a chance to look at it, Teos? I'm picking it up today at my local gaming store, so I, I have not. But I, I did see Enrique Bertrand, newbie DM, was sharing some pictures, and mm-hmm. I've seen a few other things. The mythic monsters look uh, like really cool. That, that's right up my alley. Yeah, that's the first, as a DM and a designer, the first thing I go to is the monsters, right? What can I do and how can I reskin these to to be other things and and all that stuff. So I have a feeling that we will be taking a deeper dive into this book in a later episode once we've had a chance to digest it all. But I, yeah, I, sure. I, um, I like the fact that they are, um, that they being wizards are using this IP to, to, to its greatest extent. Yeah. And, and they really look like they are trying to get better and better at, creating a world book that really wraps you into it, right? They're, they're, they're trying mm-hmm. to figure out how in a single book you can create a really strong experience. And, and this looks like the latest version, the latest what, advancement, right, of, of how they can approach that. Right. Rather than making a whole new setting that takes a full box set, if you will, and, and all that, just something that DMs can use to create a different feeling campaign, uh, without having to have callbacks to 
uh, existing campaigns or overdo it. Um, yeah, I think I think that it's a happy medium that DMs can appreciate as well as players. So, hey, we have a new main topic for today, and that main topic is traps. Uh, traps are hard, I think. And it's something that I struggle with as a designer uh, to make fun and flavorful and meaningful. And so I think it's a great topic. Uh, what's your general take on traps in D&D? So I love them. Uh, I, I love creating them. I love experiencing them as a player. I love besting them as a player. Uh, I love putting them in adventures. I'm a huge fan of traps. Uh, and I think it's because, you know, when I go to the well of inspiration, it's almost always going to be something Indiana Jones. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's just, that's how you do Indiana Jones, right? You have a number of, of, of other elements, but, uh, but I mean, the traps are right there, right in the front. So I, I love these things. I always want to do well with them, but uh, you know, this topic came up because on Twitter, I think it was maybe started with empty black. I uh, was kind of saying like, how do you do these well? And just a lot of people are responding, talking about how easy it is for traps to not work well, with, well uh, in their games or how they struggle to use them well in their games. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and th that's the problem, right? You can come up with a million reasons why they don't work or why you don't like them, but it's hard to come up with a way to actually make them work. So we're going we're gonna to do that for you. We're going to break them down, look at them uh, in, from a variety of angles. Uh, so you as a DM or a, an adventure designer can hopefully make them well and have, have them be something that players can enjoy while they uh, complement the rest of your adventure. Uh, so Teos had a list of questions here, and the, the first question I think is great, and it's what do DMs want out of traps? So, so what do DMs want out of traps, Teos? <laughs> yeah, I think that what you're hoping for as a DM is something that's, that's a really clear challenge, but it's going to entertain. I mean, I think when we think traps, we often think humor in some way, like, oh, man, it got me, right, that kind of feeling. Uh, but it's a challenge to things like a scything blade trap. Uh, and it's a test, a puzzle or figuring out some pattern in the floor or something like that. Right. And, and, and I think that it's sort of a classic uh, DM scenario to, to you're sort of putting this in front of your players to see what they do. And I think the, the best traps give the DM that satisfaction of like, yeah, this is great. And I would look at something like uh, the crocodile temple. Uh, that exists in Tomb of Annihilation, if, if any folks out there right. know that one. It's just a perfect where, where, like, you know, I can only imagine the person who wrote that just looking, you know, at the end of writing that goes, yeah, yeah, my players are gonna, <laughs> they're gonna interact, they're gonna, they're gonna walk in and they're gonna know, oh, something's up here and I've got to figure this out and it's gonna be so fun to see how it plays out. Yeah, the trap that springs to mind for me is from Tomb of Annihilation as well. And it's the one where you're just first entering the trap. Is that the same? When you're first entering the temple, the floor gives way. Oh. I, I tried to remember, but all I remember is I was DMing it and my players were just falling into every, everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. And, and so the trap in that sense worked perfectly. Yeah. And so I was getting a lot of chuckles out of it. Uh, they were sweating a bit. And, and I, so I think in that sense that worked for that particular uh, 
in that particular milieu because that's what you want them to understand is yeah. you are walking into this thing and it's not going to be easy and every step you take is is going to be treacherous right. so you want to hit them with that right away yeah it it's i i sometimes in my own mind tend to separate traps from the rest of D&D and that does traps a disservice because i think traps like you said should should be able to delight and entertain as well as challenge, right? It yeah. should, it shouldn't be just be, how can I get the most hit points out of my players? <laughs> yeah. it, it, it should be what's cool about this, just as if it was a plot, yeah. um, you know, what's, what's cool. So the next question is then what do players want out of traps? And that's, a, that's an even better and tougher question uh, because my first answer would be, to avoid them. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's a big part of the pleasure. Like I used to play in third edition an arcane trickster and arcane tricksters were, uh, uh, uh not prestige class, what they call it paragon path. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, maybe it was prestige class. I get my editions mixed up. Yeah. So it, it happens. So you, you chose this variant of a wizard rogue multi-class and it was great because you could use your intelligence to find traps. So you're actually really great at finding them. And I loved just finding those traps. But the best traps are ones that I could find. Like, I'd be like, there's something going on here. But then mm -hmm. the group got involved in what's the next step. Like, you found it, but we're not in, you know, there's a tripwire, but there might be more ahead. Or I found that there is, you know, something hidden behind this uh, plate on the wall. Well, now what do we do, right? Right. Yeah, It it's, it's the rather than... Uh, D&D turning into a chess match where it's, it's just you move one piece and there's an automatic counter move. It, it makes you step back and look at the surroundings instead of just at the rules. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and that, that's always a great feeling when you can do that, when it's not um, just role playing related, when it's when it is part of the sort of tactics, but it's not a rote response um, to it. Yeah, and I also think, you know, that we always talk about the exploration pillar, which seems to give mm -hmm. a lot of people some hesitation, you know, how do you do that? And, and traps are a great example of that. Uh, they can bridge, you know, two of those pillars really well, both combat and exploration. Uh, but it, it really is one of those things where you get the table wakes up and goes, oh, there's a thing here, there's a pressure plate, or there's some strange, you know, webbing or whatever it is. And, and mm -hmm. now you go, okay, the whole party starts talking about how to deal with this thing. Right. It, it does. It does wake people up out of their tunnel gaze at their character sheet, yeah. uh, which, which I, I love to see. Uh, so your next question, I think, is is another great question is what visions do we meaning like the D&D &D community have of them? And, and I th I think there are you've already mentioned the Indiana Jones, right? That's the cinematic uh, things. Everything's going wrong. Everything's moving all at once. When, when D and D was created, I, I I feel like traps were less of that and more of uh, ways to punish characters. Yeah, and and I I don't mean that even in a negative way, because when you do look at Tomb of Horrors, which is probably if you say D and D adventure with traps, that's probably the one that springs to mind for old school players uh, first. That, you know, that was really written as a punishment for players who were thinking they were getting too big for their britches yeah. and using the same old responses over and over and over again to deal with 
it's problems. So, you know, when, when you see a hole in the wall and you stick your head in and your head doesn't come out <laughs> with the rest of your body, you have problems. That, that is, that is a different kind of trap than the Indiana Jones yeah. cinematic trap, right? And even that, like, you know, that, that there was an old series that has, I don't know, somehow been kept alive over the many years, but Grimtooth Traps, right? With many books that were called Grimtooth Traps, you know, one, two, three, and on. And they were right. those kinds of traps that would be like, you think you're solving it, but you just made it worse, right? Like almost right. like a Rube Goldberg, you know, this leads to that, leads to the other. Right. And before you know it, you're all in an acid pit and you've closed the top of the pit on yourself and you've dumped the monster <laughs> right. in. And yeah. those are amusing to read, but I don't know that players really <laughs> want to deal with that, right? Like that's a, maybe a little too much. Right, right, yeah. It's gotcha yeah. territory. Uh, yeah, and and that's we'll talk about the gotcha traps later. Um, so traps then, as part of the game, I think serve a variety of roles. Um, you mentioned the exploration pillar, and in the sense that exploration is going from the known into the unknown, uh, traps are a, can be a big part of that. Uh, a, a part that can be more satisfying than you know, rolling 20 random encounter checks as you go through the forest, right? That's, this is more something like you said, uh, players set up and notice. Yeah. Uh, so exploration, it's important, but you also had mentioned traps during combat, bridging that, um, bridging that thing. And I think that's a, a great place for a trap to be uh, used to wake up people from their normal combat routine. Yeah. Yeah, if you will. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? The one that really sticks out for me, traps during combat, is is that fourth edition really dug into this, right? It made a trap a monster. Um, mm -hmm. In that fourth edition had this sort of, you know, maybe a little bit misguided, not always proper kind of concept that was that a monster takes four rounds to defeat or four hits to defeat. And so it did that for traps and it, a trap had a stat block. It looked a lot like a monster if you visually in terms of the, the text on the page. And it required generally four actions to stop or, or that had that many hit points. And so really you could just, and it had a, you know, a, a, an XP value and all of that. And, and it could just be thrown in with a mix. So you could have, you know, three goblins and a trap of that level, or you could have, one level four trap that kind of thing and it was very mechanical uh and that was maybe a little too far in that it it, it uh it it was so mechanical as to not work well and be distinguishable from monsters mm -hmm. uh but but i think with some of the rules for complex traps that fifth edition has you can get a, a sweeter spot there with traps during combat yeah i mean that's one of the issues that i've seen with using traps especially complex traps is you know in in fifth edition complex traps call for initiatives you know they if it's a slow trap it goes on 10 if it's fast it, you know whatever and as soon as you go into initiative but you're dealing with traps players try to see every problem as a nail because they are wielding a hammer right yeah. and and they they don't stop to think okay how can i get out of this problem they say, okay, I have a sword in my hand. I am going to hit the problem repeatedly with this sword. And often they don't take the hint that 
this slashing at this thing is not solving your problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there are some, it's interesting in the official book, some of the complex traps are brutal. Like I, th- I think of Storm King and that falling rolling boulder one. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, that is like TPK material. And, and, and it's one of those that just continually does its trick. And it's very easy for players to not know sort of how to respond to it. And I think a, a very good trap can really serve a great role in a scenario uh, by being complex, meaning that it acts over and over again. It doesn't just fire once. Uh, it's a mm-hmm. continuing threat. And, but what it, if, if, you, if you really, I think DMs want, often want to hide things secrets that are revealed but but in this mm-hmm. case when you can see like the trap activates uh, maybe it's a rolling ball but you see four pillars glow and they have mm-hmm. something on them right mm-hmm. and so now it just became really obvious that these things are connected they all did this at the exact same time and you know you've right. got to do something with the pillars to to do this right that's the kind of thing that i think can really hit that sort of exploration pillar it can be a super fun session mm-hmm. right and and, 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 you know, you said you can't hide it. Sometimes it's not just not hiding it. Sometimes it's calling it out over and over <laughs> yeah. and over again. You know, the, the, the runes grow, glow brighter on the pillars as the uh, rolling ball closes in on you. Yeah, you, 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 can't, uh, you can't be too subtle sometimes with players. And I think for me, another thing about the role of traps is, is, it's, an, it's a good reason to get people rolling dice and ideally multiple people rolling dice. And one of the problems that DMs have with traps is that as they're often written, uh, a passive perception check could spot it and spoil it, solve mm-hmm. it fully. And right. that means sometimes there isn't even a single die being rolled. Uh, and now it's just seen, oh, there's an arrow trap in the wall. We avoid it, we're done. And so right. I think you want to unless that's your point to maybe like, that's a great thing to put at the beginning of uh, a dungeon. So, you know, there are traps in there, mm. right? right? And that's all it is. Yeah. It's like an advertisement campaign. Uh, right. And now, now there are people are sitting on the edge of the seat because then probably going to be more traps and they'll probably get harder. Uh, but yeah. you want to move beyond that, right? So that, so that you engage people, uh, even if they're found um, mm-hmm. so that it's not a, you know, and that could be as simple as the one, two punch of you spot something is weird. There's a discolored plate on the ground um you know and the statue looks like it could move um but then you have to use investigation to resolve it and disarm maybe and maybe it has a number of ways that it can activate so it's not as simple as just not stepping on the plate right and i think there's a there's a fine line between having a trap that's complex that everyone can interact with and help solve versus the trap where you need to make four or five rolls just to disarm the single trap. And, 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 and that's a tough one, right? Because if you, if you take it in one direction, it's all right, there's a, it's an arrow trap. There's a pressure plate on the floor here. Your perception finds it. Your investigation figures out what it is. Your disarm gets rid of it. Uh, you know, that's three rolls for one thing that's not really all that exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that's the the that's the thing you want to kind of avoid if possible. Do you can do it once and everyone, uh, you know, gets involved. But and then on the other side of it, if you want all those rolls, have 
things that go wrong or well after each of those roles. Yeah. Um, and, and that's when you are using a complex trap well, when there are drawbacks and successes for every role that, that is made along the way, because then the players get the feeling that they are doing something uh, to solve this problem. Because when you're in combat, if, if you hit something with your sword, so hit points are lost on the monster, you feel good about that. <laughs> if you're trying to disarm a trap that takes five rolls to disarm and you're the third roll in this long string, it, it doesn't feel like anything's happening. And I think that's what happened in fourth edition is that players would do that mental math and they'd say, if I spend four actions disarming this trap or attacking it, but monsters are attacking me too, and they're usually a little more dangerous. I'm just going to attack the monsters. And so they would leave mm-hmm. the trap to the end, and then often the DM would hand wave it. Because right. at that point, it was, you know, it's not fun to just sit there and watch the rolls. And, and, and that's, right. so you don't want that. You want a real, I think you want your traps to be, if you want them to be complex, then they need to be important, right? And, and I, I, again, I go to the well, you know, my inspiration, I think of like Temple of Doom, when there's that whole thing where she has to put her hand in through this, hole that's full of horrible creeping right. dangerous bugs and grab this handle to stop the trap because it's coming in for sure first they even have to find that right and all these right. different things are going off there are spikes and the floors the ceilings coming down all of that is mm-hmm. a very cinematic pressure moment and you've got to find that lever and then deal with these insects that are in there that's pretty cool um yeah that's engaging and and, and people are, are going to be all act, they're all going to be active looking for the triggers we're looking at. And then they might make it worse, right? Which is one of the things that happens there, right? Mm -hmm. Don't do anything. All right. I put my back against the wall. Oh, well now the ceiling's coming down. Right. Right. (laughs) And, and I, I think that's important too, right? Exactly. Uh, what you said is, is a shade of what I said earlier, which is as you're planning these traps and you're putting in these skill checks, say, or ability checks, uh, always have a plan for if they fail this, this is how it gets worse. If they succeed, this is how it gets better for them or at least signals to them that it is getting better yeah. uh, without solving the entire trap all at once. Yeah, and if you're thinking when you're designing for your group, you can think of sort of what your your players need as sort of story beats. Like maybe they need that real simple, uh, at this point in adventure, it's great if they have a simple spear trap that they can disarm. And that's just mm-hmm. a feel good, right? The rogue needs a little bit of, of, of love to feel good about uh, disabling this. Let's just do that. It's a quick story beat and we move on, right? Or, or there's a treasure chest uh, after the fight and it's trapped and you find the poison needle and you feel good about that. You know, I had countless times like that that just felt great in games. Uh, just a nice mm-hmm. little beat. Um, but on the other hand, if what you're looking to, if the point of the trap is to surprise and engage, then it should do that. And you want to think about your group or what the average group would be like and how that's going to play out. And that's where a series of traps or a couple of different things that make it interesting. Now it's suddenly almost unfindable, meaning that that even when you find things through perception or investigation, there's still something to be done. And I recall uh, an adventure, there was an Adventures League adventure that had a series of traps that were engaging enough that the short of it is my party ended up activating all of them, having spotted all of them. <laughs> and it was just, I mean, we were all laughing. We were all having a great time because it was just like at one point, I remember the player, she rolled really well and found this pressure plate. And somehow she concluded in her mind, this was the safe spot. So she jumps on it. 
<laughs> and another time there's a pit and they find uh this like weird kind of uh growth on the bottom of it and they're like just ignore it you know you don't want anything to do with it and, and this one player is just like you know can i see the floor no because it's covered by this stuff all right i throw a torch down there right and it's that mold that grows with fire oh that grows when it gets heat yeah, yeah. uh and it was just you know and every trap they triggered it and we, we laughed so hard it was great it was just fantastic yeah and you know part of part of the overarching thing we're talking about here is D D always has this friction between itself as a game and as a narrative device right and and we're, we're here with traps now and the traps are part of that conversation part of that friction because they can be such a fun narrative cinematic thing but they're also this mechanical thing and you you want to strike that balance between the two uh do you want to talk about making traps fit the plot for a second yeah yeah so you know if you think about something like all right you're in Baldur's gate and you are uh, for some reason going into this noble's household you know their bedroom should not have a scything blade trap <laughs> you know probably <laughs> depend on some nobles might have that but i was gonna say you know, uh, but it, henry the eighth yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah you know but uh but in general we want to we want it to fit the situation right when indiana jones goes into that temple in the first movie and raiders uh we buy into that whole thing right all of the prime i mean it's, it's of course insane like this would never happen mm -hmm. but in the fantasy type world this fits we know it's a trap filled corridor and we know that we're going to get countless these and, and we can even perhaps guess ahead that we're going to see them some of them twice um mm -hmm. and and that's what makes it so rewarding and awesome and, and it, it just it fits like that tomb of horrors is so over the top but it now that has a reputation that you know you don't play this with your favorite character that you just spent your whole life building up to this level <laughs> um and tomb of annihilation is called that for a reason so yeah you want it to fit right kobolds are going to have certain types of traps not others mm -hmm. um right. but a devious you know, lich like a Sarak is going to have entirely different traps. And so you want it to fit the, the situation that's there. Yeah. I, I think that's great advice. That's something that I should record and play for myself as <laughs> I write, because I, I have the horrible tendency to do that, to think of a cool trap and uh, not take the step back to say, does this really work plot wise here? And, and I'm not talking about something simple like, don't put traps where all the creatures are going to walk. Uh, I'm talking more about what Teos is saying. You know, Sarak is not going to use mechanical traps. He's going to use magical traps. Whereas kobolds are going to use whatever, or goblins are going to use whatever is on hand. Right? Scorps, and... Yeah, scorpion-filled uh, bottles yeah. that swing down at you, you know, things like that. And that's great, uh, great if you can do that. Like, like, that's such a great, yeah, scorpions, you know, in, like, baskets and bottles. It's just... Like that drives home that narrative, right? It really, we are mm -hmm. fighting scrappy kobolds that do this sort of stuff to us. And, 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 and they, don't, they don't have to do a whole lot of damage, but there could maybe be a lot of them, right? To where you're just, you're shaking your fist going, oh, these kobolds. <laughs> right. Like every five feet, <laughs> there's, there's something flying at you. And it's usually when you're trying to do something else that's dangerous or, or uh, you know, to, that takes your attention. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to touch for just a minute on the actual rules for traps. Um, 
do you want to talk for a second about where in what books yeah. uh, the traps have been discussed and and what that has meant for the evolution of 5e yeah so so 5e has uh in in chapter five it has a section on traps uh this includes sample traps it talks about complex traps a bit uh it differentiates between a magic trap and other traps that it's a little bit of an artificial and even confusing separation because it, it sort of says that if something is magical if the trap is magical you can use intelligence arcana to detect it and to disarm it but maybe other skills and you can use dispel mm -hmm. magic and that creates a sort of very uh it could be a gotcha or it can be confusing to folks you know what should i do if i have like a glyph of warding you know, should it be visible? Should it be something that perception or investigation captures or should it only be intelligence arcana? And it's sort of a little bit up in the air with some of these types of magical traps, but that's where, you know, again, you wanna not, you wanna think about the experience and how to craft a good experience with it, but you have that latitude to use other skills. Mm -hmm. um, disarming uh, isn't super talked about, but it, it, based on other material, it's used as thieves tools generally. Um, but you can use other types of tools and that can be fun to use different tools than these tools. Um, it does mention that you can usually use wisdom perception to see a trap that most traps can be seen. There's something there that, that you could perceive and it may require, the rules do say, may require an intelligence investigation check to deduce what to do with what you see. So even in that first book, that idea is there. Um, Jeremy Crawford has shared some thoughts around how passive perceptions play in, um, which can make it very easy to find traps. So that's just something you need to keep in mind. If you want to use that option, then make your traps work accordingly. I know just as many DMs that don't use that approach and who will often require only intelligence investigation to find a trap. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of, of breadth there in how to approach it. Yeah, I mean, we could do a whole show on yeah. the difference between passive or difference between perception and investigation yeah. and and the attributes, uh, ability scores to go with them. I think what a lot of DMs find, right, is that it's really easy for, for one of the players at your table to show up with an incredible passive perception score. Mm -hmm. And yeah. none of the traps that are in published material will be above that. So they'll all be visible if you're just using traps like that. Yeah. And, and yeah, we could, you know, we we could talk about games where you're supposed to succeed on skills like that. And that's, I love those games like Gumshoe, but traps in fifth edition are generally not written in the official books to always be found. And so right. you have to do something around that as a, yeah. Uh, but so the other book is Xanathar's Guide to Everything. This improves the design. It gives you more sample traps and it does a clearer differentiation between a simple one-shot trap and a complex trap that, that goes off every round. It gives you better rules for creating them. Uh, and, and it has sort of a whole series of, of steps you go through to creating them. What's the purpose? What's the level in fallity? Um, it gives you average damage for all the different levels. So uh, Xanathar's is, is, is really, you can almost ignore the DMG, except that it has some traps that can be worth looking at for inspiration. Xanathar's mm -hmm. gives you your better set of rules for how to create them. Yeah, I, I like that Xanathar's provided what is essentially a stat block for traps, um, not because I I wanted them to become rote, but because so many times when I was working with a the designer, they would create a trap 
and either it would take them two pages to describe the trap. And even then they might leave something out that that's important. Like how, how do you disarm it <laughs> or what triggers it? Uh, so having that stat block, at least as a designer and often as the DM will let you, it, it'll give you all the information you need. You can make sure it's there. Um, so it's more easy to read. It's a great, but point. like you said, yeah. yeah, like you said with fourth edition, the only problem that can lead to is it just becomes another mechanical thing rather than this living cinematic, wonderful experience. Yeah. You mentioned that experience and I'm thinking of when I ran uh, middle school kids through acquisitions incorporated and in that first uh, cave conflicts that you wrote up, uh, there's a trap that can turn you, I think it's purple. Yeah. Purple or green. It's green. green. Yeah. And, and yeah. so, you know, just, that's all the trap does is it, it releases this dye that co colors you for about a month. I think it is. And yeah. that was so much fun for these players. Like they laughed about that. And the player would be like, am I still green? And you're like, yeah, you're still, <laughs> you know, a few days later. Yeah. You're still green. a couple of days past. Am I still green? Yeah, you are, you know, and yeah. NPCs <laughs> remark on it. And it's like, you know, all it did was just you know, apply a color, but it was, it was genius. It really made it for a fun experience and a lasting experience. Uh, and the, yeah. the ones who avoided it, uh, and then there are a number of all the traps in there are very fun to, to play with. Yeah. I am actually running that right now uh, for a group and we we're just getting to that point where they're going to run into those traps. So I'll have to, to keep an eye on that, but yeah, I mean, they can be, they don't have to be lethal, right? They can be, alarm traps yeah. are are there just for just for to raise the raise the alarm for the monsters in the lair so you know all of those things and, can, and sometimes you know sometimes the players are most uh enraged in a good way by those traps not yeah. that they do damage but that they got they got got yeah right yeah. you're now hanging upside down in the forest it's not doing any damage <laughs> people can cut you down yeah it's not a big deal but you got caught. Yeah, it's a great point. Yeah, or you know, you can imagine something that if you press on a plate, like maybe like these cardboard cutouts of uh, goblins, you know, sort of stand up at the far end, but they're in the shadows, and so you think there are some bad guys that have just arrived or something like that. You know, like just things like that that are amusing and confounding and don't have a huge effect, but they're very story heavy, right? Big story impact. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I wanted to mention, and I only thought of this based on your notes, was, you know, if a if a group does bypass a trap completely, which will happen at some point, but it's something cool that they would like to see. Do uh, you can do one of two things: a have something else run into it while they can watch. Have some monster or some critter, a giant rat comes up the corridor that you just bypassed and, oh, sets off this trap. Watch what happens to the rat. Uh, you don't want to take several minutes to do it. You want it to be quick, but you want them to see what happened because not only might it be cool cinematically, it might be providing information that is needed later uh, about, oh, it's a fire trap this creature that you're whose layer you in is going to be a fire creature, you know, that sort of thing. The other thing you can do is do a complete two years later, this other party is coming up this corridor 
and here's what happens to them just just for fun just to to tell a story that's not involving those characters but they get to see it one thing you could do too is something like um you did such a good job disarming it that you can um bypass it but leave it active do you want to do that and then you can have that possibility that yeah (laughs) true so uh, in terms of designing traps or dealing with traps, uh, is there anything else you wanted to mention, uh, f- especially for DMs or uh, adventure designers to, to think about? Uh, you know, my, my biggest tip for things like this is read lots of other, what others have done and, and make notes. When you see an awesome trap, you know, stop and, and you know, throw it in a file somewhere or make a reference to it because because they're great for a reason, right? The, the, if you look like that crocodile uh, tomb in, in Tomb of Annihilation, you know, there's some real genius behind it. And so think about how you, w- what elements resonate. Um, for me, it's things like actions matter and they have consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, it's rewarding. You know, like you're talking about uh, something you were saying earlier reminded me of a, a trap that I made for Dungeon of Doom for Dwarven Forge where you know halfway through this trap filled corridor you find the treasure on someone who died in the trap before mm-hmm. and so it sort of takes springing some traps to get that reward and it pauses things a bit and gives you something back right so right. so establishing that kind of narrative the beats in within the the traps themselves uh make some fun experiences mm-hmm. yeah and my big tip is when you do design a trap, even if it is a simple trap, give the rest of the party something to do while the trap is being dealt with. Um, either make the trap something that is so bizarre that it's not something a rogue can deal with. For some reason, a druid needs to deal with this trap because it's somehow nature related or uh, you know, somebody who has knowledge of cooking yeah. will see this trap because it's a stove that has been <laughs> um so you know it's it's not a normal trap but somebody who is proficient with cooking uh tools will notice oh that pan should not be there why are you using a bunt pan yeah. when you're cooking meat i mean that uh that that's wrong For, so you know a classic uh, example is the uh the in in, in fifth element right where you have the the scene at the end and and everybody has to be involved but okay how would what do i do right right how do we activate yep. this everybody take a station so, yep so give everybody a uh, a role in the the disarming or the dealing with of of the trap all right so favorite trap you've ever written teos go <laughs> Uh, that I've written, I'm, I'm really proud of the Gauntlet, which is a room that you can get in the free Dungeon of Doom Adventure on the Door and Forge website. Uh, that is a long trap-filled corridor that is a lot of fun to run. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with fourth edition for the Dungeon Delve book. The first level adventure has a very simple trap where uh, the, the kobolds that you're dealing with pull tapestries down on top of you. <laughs> Uh, and restrain you. And then if you figure out what they're doing, you can do it to them oh, lovely. Uh, first. But that was... Uh, yeah, being able was, to spring a trap on, you know, turn the tables on the trap setter is great. Yeah. Yep. 
So with that, I want to thank everybody for listening out there. Uh, I want to thank our patrons as well. You can support our show by going to patreon.com slash MMP, where you are also supporting other shows on the Misdirected Mark Network, like Phil and Senda Talking Games and the Misdirected Mark Podcast. Uh, if you can't help us monetarily, that's okay. Uh, we would love it if you could give us a review on whatever medium that you listen to us on. Or... Give us a shout out on social media so people know that, hey, we're out here doing this podcast and hopefully people are enjoying it. Uh, Teos, where can people find you and your work out there on the large interwebs? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at AlphaStream and my blog, AlphaStream.org. And I have also joined the Misdirected Mark forums. There you go. So talk to Teos and I there and let us know everything that we did wrong in this show <laughs> and what we forgot to mention. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin or also on those aforementioned forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com. Download D&D is a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Now for the first time as an official host of the show, I'm going to ask you, Teos, what are we going to do now? Let's go kill some monsters. Sweet. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, Who's down with D&D? Who's down with D&D?